the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And if it weren't for copyright law, I would probably be singing that to you. Uh, but you you can thank copyright law later. Uh, yeah, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And um, it's, it's that time again. No, no, it's not time to listen to Christmas music yet. Uh, even though I'm I'm strongly alluding to that, uh, one of the things that I love about this time of the year is Father Brian O'Brien out at St. Francis Xavier Church on the edges of the Diocese of Tulsa. Um, he on Twitter, you can follow him at fr O'Brien. Uh, on Twitter, every year he does this countdown throughout this most wonderful time of the year, this season, asking the question: Is it Christmas yet? And then, of course, responds to us, no. And uh, and he'll do that throughout the, um, I, I imagine the voice. I mean, he's, he's tweeting it. But I imagine that voice in my head. And he does this throughout the season. The closer we get to Christmas, the more excited I am for his answer. Is it Christmas yet? No. It's still the season of Advent. Here we are in this time of anticipation and waiting. Now, I used to do this thing where we wouldn't listen to Christmas music at all of any sort until we got to Christmas. And do you know how hard that is? I mean, Christmas music has been playing somewhere on the radio since Halloween. Uh, It's hard to avoid, and it gets even harder as you enter uh, past Thanksgiving and into December. It's just everywhere. Eggnog's been in the store for about a month already. Uh, and and everyone is ready for it to be Christmas, for the the joyous celebration of of the thing that that they love the most, right? Giving gifts and presents and consumerism. But we, you and I, are called to a different kind of celebration this season. Uh, now, this is not a dour thing. Like I was saying, I used to try and avoid Christmas music altogether, and that's really hard to do. I got to the place where I'm like, okay. Let's just skip the the um, the true Christmas music until Christmas, but holiday stuff, stuff that really isn't about Christmas, but it's about you know the the cultural celebration of it. That that's going to be okay. We'll do that kind of stuff. Um, and a part of it came from this this not to skip seasons again, but this epiphany that I had about this season. Um, it is a time of waiting and anticipation and longing, but it's markedly different from the waiting that we do at at Lent. And Mary, I think, is our uh, kind of, we can take our cues from her in how to celebrate the season. Um, in the season of Lent, she has watched her son be crucified. There is an anguish to that, that um, experience of that season. So that season of of Lent, there is this really deep uh, introspection and and longing for um, for things to be made right. With Advent, we have a different kind of thing because here is the the time that Mary is pregnant. It is a time of waiting. Uh, we've got a lot of kids. We've gone through uh, pregnancy a few times, and there is this time of waiting. But it is a joyful waiting. There's an expectancy. And uh, you know you're 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 picking out the the color of the um, the paint for the 
the nursery and you're you're looking in hope to what is coming. Uh, and so this season, this most wonderful time of the year, is an opportunity for us to expect and to look expectantly at what uh, what's coming down the pike. Now, we've talked about this for the last couple of years, and I'll keep talking about this because this is something that I think is it really encapsulates the season. Lent is that season where we look deep into our hearts and we realize uh, the depths of our own sin and the weight of our own sin, and we say, hmm, all is not right with me. Something needs to change. And Easter is the answer to that, right? That's, that's the church comes in and says, yes, that's true. All is not right with you, but Easter is here and you are now a new creation. You are made new. Well, on this other side of things, on Advent, this is the season that we look around at the world around us and we see uh, the, the turmoil and the schism and the division that, that surrounds us. And we say, all is not right with the world. Something is, is broken. And Christmas is the answer to that. We just celebrated the, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. And this is a foretaste because that's the very end of the liturgical year. That's the culmination of our year. And then we jump right back into our new year with Advent as we start that cycle over saying we are longing for our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, right? There is a need, a universal cosmic need for redemption. And this is not merely the redemption of our souls, which we've already experienced by virtue of the cross. This is the need for the whole of the cosmos to be healed, for for the world to experience the same redemption that our spirits have already experienced, we, we talk about this in theological terms as the already and the not yet. We have already experienced the coming of Christ, and yet we still long for this second coming of Christ, that Christ will return again. And when he does, he sets all right with the world. St. Paul talks about it this way, saying that creation groans, longing for redemption, and so here, as we are sitting in the midst of that groaning, we can look around, whether it be um, socioeconomic, whether it be political, whether it be any other kind of uh, maybe familial strife, we can look around and see things are not right here. Not everything is going according to God's will, right? All is not right with the world. But Christ in Christmas brings to us the answer and the hope of that healing and that redemption because God who created the whole world has entered into his creation and subjected himself to the laws of his creation. He has become human and mortal for the sake of redeeming the whole of his creation. So how do we celebrate Advent well? Well, you know, you can look around at all the different blogs and all the different activities that you can do with your kids or your family, and it can get a little bit overwhelming. But I think that the answer is not to fill the days with activity, but to look at, look for and look at those places that are broken. Find the places where we see the need for redemption. Look at the situations that are around us and call them by name. Of course, it's easy to look at the things that we see on, on the world stage and, and the national news, but I want to encourage you to get a little bit more personal. 
Look around in your own sphere of influence. What are the things and the places where you see injustice, where you see uh, the brokenness of the world needing the redemption, the incarnation of, of Christ to come and make a difference? Name them and identify them and, and, and embrace them and see them for what they are. And then when we get to Christmas, then it's not about the, the rush of opening gifts and seeing the kids and their craziness because we forget all too easily, but that's over in a flash. There's this this crash after it's all done because there's this sense of we just now spent so much energy preparing for this moment and the moment is now over. But if instead we spend this Advent focusing on those broken places, looking at the, the lack in our own experience and then also in the broader world, naming them and embracing them and seeing them for what they are and recognizing that the only thing that can bring about healing and wholeness in those places is the presence of Christ. And yes, we do come and we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate this thing that has already happened, and yet we're still longing for that which is yet to come. This new Advent, this is why for the first two weeks of Advent, all of our readings are going to be oriented towards the eschaton, towards the end of all time. And uh, last year around this time, we we had a conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. You can find that in the archives, uh, outsidethewalls.com. Scroll through until you find his name, Joe Heschmeyer. There's an episode on Advent and the eschaton, and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that. The next two weeks of Advent, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, that's when we go back and we focus then on on that time before Christ's first coming, where we recall and make present again that feeling of longing, of waiting for the redemption, of joining our own experience of longing for redemption and joining that together with those all who came before. So here we are, approaching this season, trying to figure out how to impress this on our kids, how to celebrate it well for ourselves, how to enter in most fully to this Advent season, so that when Christmas comes, we still got four weeks, right? Don't rush yourself. But when Christmas comes, we can get a deeper understanding of what Christ's presence means to us because we see the ways that he is entering into these broken places and bringing his peace and bringing his healing and recreating the world around us. Yes, all is not right with the world. Even in our own lives, there are things that are just not right. There are injustices. There are weaknesses. There is fallen nature. But we know that Christ, who comes into the world at Christmas, bringing his, his divine nature and bringing it into communion with our human nature, we know that this God who created by a word will be able to bring all things right and redeem the whole of the world. Now, that's the thousand-foot view, but let's go ahead 
and zoom in? What does that mean for us practically? So we're talking today with John Mark and Teresa Grodi. Uh, John Mark is the Chief Operating Officer at the Coming Home Network International, where he also hosts the podcast Deep in Christ. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Teresa is the Pilgrimage Coordinator for the Catholic Faith Journeys. I'd love to hear more about that, but that's probably for a different show, because today we're talking to them about their joint podcast. And I typically think of podcasts as being audio, but this is just really beautifully done video podcast uh, called Elevate Ordinary. It's part of the Awaken Catholic Podcast Network. I uh, I guess it's a network. I thought it was just John Mark. I've got to follow it on Facebook, and uh, and so I'm getting ready to see the next John Mark episode. Then there's all these other people who show up. Uh, but it's just really high-quality, well-done Really ought to be Catholic television uh, putting EWTN and Catholic TV on notice uh, that the next generation is coming up and ready to take the reins. Thanks for joining us today, John, Mark, and Teresa. Great to be back, TL. Thank you for inviting us. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, today, I um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because it's a new thing. You've been doing it not very long. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to guess that that this is one of those hey, the pandemic's here and we have to do something. So let's do something amazing. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's interesting, actually. Um, I got a call. So it, the 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 brains behind it all, the entrepreneur behind it all uh, is a buddy of ours. His name is Nick Delatore and his wife, uh, Alina. And they're musicians. Um, they we, we knew them back in college. They were worship leaders for our, uh, uh, our Newman Center uh, ministry on campus of, of Bowling Green State University. And so we knew them there. They were just kind of coming back to their faith, their Catholic faith at that time. I think Alina's a convert, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we've known them for a long time. Uh, and he also worked in the diocese around here, but he, he'd done different things around the diocese. But they're really talented people. They're great uh, musical artists. But I mean, Teresa, fill in the background a little bit of because right before Nick, before they launched Awaken Catholic, it was sort of them deciding to work together was part yeah, of this. Um, I don't want to get their story wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Nick was marriage and family coordinator for our diocese. And, um, you know, they were having this conflict that I think a lot of couples have, which is you start out as a team Mm -hmm. and then you start having kids and then you start to feel like, well, he's pursuing some of his passion, but I'm not pursuing my passion, you know, or like we used to do our passion together, but now it's just like logistically impossible for us to do any of these things. Um, And they really they really worked to, you know, figure out what God was calling them to. And like John Mark said, and like you noticed, um, they are superb entertainers. They have a real eye for video, for audio. Um, Nick was just telling us like he studied opera in mm-hmm. college. Um, like they're just phenomenal and they're really ga- great producers and casters. Like the teams that they put together for some of these episodes are just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's a men's show. It's really wonderful. (laughs) Um, It's it's probably one of my favorite shows now. Um, But um, even more than the office. Yes. Yes. The, the awakened Catholic (laughs) men's show has surpassed the office. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so they, he took a leap and he quit his job at the diocese, which was, you know, a wonderful job doing what he loved. And now they are a team again Mm -hmm. um, and they're just producing phenomenal content. And we actually got the call. Well, he, John Mark got the call to do this. I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to do a podcast ever. Um, I'm a very verbose person, clearly. Um, 
but you got the call. It was it was actually pre COVID. Mm-hmm. It was early this year. Uh, Nick gave me a call, and I'd been uh, he'd been we had a couple of conversations lately over the past couple of years about virtue. So that's a topic I've been really into. And he called me up and he he explained to me this project he was doing, and he invited me to maybe consider something. And um, it, it went from there. I came back to talk to him about maybe doing it with Teresa. But I really wanted to focus on virtues and conversation. And as Teresa and I talked about it, you know, we, we kind of want we loved this idea. It's sort of a, you know, Teresa little flower, sort of a, you know, the little way kind of a, a spirituality, trying to communicate that and explore that and using the virtues, uh, which is again a passion of mine to to bring some of those pieces out. The whole ministry kind of went on hold for a little while when COVID happened, because we had just started doing studio interviews. And so they kind of relaunched in September. And I think they launched. We recorded our first episode the yeah. day of the school shutdown yeah. in our state. <laughs> and so they took some time off um, and then we launched and we launched strong, like really strong. Um, and it just really seems like God is throwing the right things together at this time. So I, I hope. And school lockdown was like, beautiful. school lockdown was like three years ago, right? <laughs> I mean, oh boy. Seems like it. Y'all, y'all have five kids. We've got eight kids. There's just, um, uh, it's time passes differently as a family in quarantine than I think it does even <laughs> for uh, a couple or an individual in quarantine, because you're not only carrying your own anxieties and, 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 uh, just being pent up and stir crazy. You're carrying everybody's. So I, I think some there's something to be said for for the show, this idea of elevate ordinary, of taking the everyday yeah. ordinary things of life and realizing the sacredness in them that really could be a little bit of an antidote to us in the midst of, hey, my state just locked down again. How about yours? Um, now we're trying to be holy and we're trying to live life in this, now this holy season we're approaching of Advent. Yeah. And... <laughs> How do we do that? Well, of course, you you watch Elevate Ordinary well, first of all. <laughs> so one of you know one of my favorite quotes and a motto of mine from G.K. Chesterton, which again is applicable to all this, is that an inconvenience is just an adventure wrongly considered, <laughs> and and the the converse is true. Yeah, so all the inconveniences of this year, you know, they are opportunities, you know, to to look through and beyond along them to the opportunities God's sending to us. Um, and just recognizing that so many of the little things we take for granted are great opportunities for, for virtue and for holiness. Um, we just got to scratch the surface a little bit. And the yeah. Advent is a great time for that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so we went from, uh, in college, living at a church, mm-hmm. both doing ministry at the church. Um, so attending daily mass. We had adoration probably like five days a week. Hmm. Um, praise and worship. I mean, I think I was praying usually three rosary, like three mysteries of the rosary a day, divine mercy chaplet. And then we had children. And I just kind of imagined that like our families would go to mass, you know, or our family would participate in all the things. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, two really extroverted people produced a lot of really extroverted children. Um, And so the, the really public aspect of our faith life dwindled, you know, dwindled to Sunday mass and, you know, almost that's it. Um, we're, we're kind of coming to the point where our oldest children are getting a little helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, so I see, I see the light, but just over the course of, you know, 10 years, we have really developed a home liturgy Mm -hmm. that just came about organically. I mean, there are a million different ideas 
that, you know, we tried to implement and failed that we hear other people do, or, you know, Kimberly Hahn does this or, you know, things like that. Um, And our family liturgy has developed, you know, it just, it started with like a few tiny little things, you know, Mm -hmm. like reading the, the daily gospel at breakfast, you know, has turned into like this long structured prayer that everybody knows, you know, and like an ending prayer, you know, and um, our advent, you know, um, I have all these high hopes. We get out of Jesse tree every year, you know, and, you know, we're always, there's always something where I'm just like every day during advent, we're going to do this thing. And it never happens past like the seventh day or something like that. But, you know, through that, we've learned that like, okay, what is advent? It's kind of like a dark a darkness, you know, there's a darkness kind of everywhere. And so we've, we've just very simply embraced the darkness of Advent. Like we literally will turn the lights down. You know, the kids probably won't get audiobooks at night. They like to go to sleep, um, get some audiobooks while they're laying in bed before, you know, we kind of just embrace the darkness um, so that when it comes Christmas time on Christmas morning and during Christmas day, like we break out the, the white tablecloth, you know, so we go from purple and dark, um, turning down the lights to light the advent candle, you know, um, to like this big, bright Christmas morning. Um, and it's so simple. It's so simple. Um, and from that we build each year, Yeah, you know, some I, additional thing that we tack on. And eventually, you know, we'll probably look at, look like this family that other people are like, Oh, you're putting us to shame, <laughs> you know, like, cause you, you're so perfect. But in reality, yeah. you know, like we were kind of crushed down low by these children. <laughs> Yeah, and out of it, like, comes this resurrection. Yeah, we're you know? we're all about parenting by throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Like that's our that's our approach to to family stuff. But yeah, I love with Advent that you know it, it's great to work with the season. It's great to work with the darkness, with the cold, with the short days. You know that to to use that to emphasize the thematic elements of 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 this anticipatory time, moving toward the the light being born into the world. And again, like. We, we have tried so many different things over the years and so much of it has not worked. And so then a few things have stuck, but again, all the best stuff, you know, all, all of our best family liturgy bits and traditions have all kind of come about organically by wor- working with, again, like, with, like you said, with the, with the theme of our show, the elevate ordinary, they, they all really, all of our best stuff attaches to something physical or, or timely. And so again, like our favorite ads, advent stuff all comes about by emphasizing kind of the dark, aspect of the season, the candles, the darkness at dinner time, seeing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in the dark around the dinner table as kind of our, our, our Advent prayer. In our day-to-day life, you know, all of our, our, our daily liturgy stuff is attached to like the schedule of our meals. And so like the gospel with, with breakfast, Compline, you know, we, we, that's, we've been praying that as a, a family because it's a, neat, a great structured thing to do right before bed. But um going a couple different directions here, but again, the point here we want to say is, again, as Chesterton says, is if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Yeah. And with, with family liturgy stuff, you know, it's worth just not giving up and trying different things. Um, but really looking for like a concrete, uh, normal, organic aspects of day-to-day life that you can attach something to. That's why meals are a great place to start. And again, going back to Advent, you know, use the season, use the darkness, mm-hmm. use the shortened days, use that, those, the changes in schedule to emphasize this, this pre- preparation time for Christmas. We have a, a Lucy and her full name is Maria Lucia. She's named after Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Lucy, which happened to be, you know, back to back feast days, uh, December 12th and December 13th. Yeah. 
And so we would celebrate Our Lady, um, we would celebrate St. Lucy in the morning on the 13th. And I am really big into Our Lady of Guadalupe and I uh, grew up with a lot of Hispanic culture. And so it's just a, it's just a pet holiday of mine. Mm -hmm. And so one evening um, I decided to make enchiladas and we're kind of gluten-free. So I make them from scratch, like some, you know, gluten-free enchilada crepe thing. And um, one evening we just had way too much left over and I didn't want to make any more. And I was like, I bet if I put vanilla and sugar in this tomorrow (laughs) morning, I could make like funnel cakes. Yeah. And so the next morning I made funnel cakes out of the, out of the same batter. And now every single year, the kids are like, Our Lady of Guadalupe at St. Lucy, we're going to have enchiladas at night. And, you know, the funnel cakes in the morning. I'm like, I guess this is it now. You do it one (laughs) time by accident. And all of a sudden now it's, now it's a tradition because they say so. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, John Mark, that, um, that some, well, it may have even been you, Teresa, that, that there's those people who, Oh, now you're the family. You put us all to shame. And, I, I feel like um, we get that a lot as as a family because we're we're intentional about our faith and we show up at mass and we make the kids pay attention to the best of their age level, and and they say that and and externally we're like I'm so relieved that they that you think so right because yeah I definitely because on the inside we see all of the 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 stretching and the. Um, the fidgeting and everything that goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, it could be that we're all extroverts here. And so we have this picture of, <laughs> of what perfection should be. And by golly, we like perfection. We like excellence. And and our kids are, are not, um, they're not letting us get to that goal. And yet mm-hmm. I think that one thing, they humble us and that's good. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, uh, we, we've been crushed by them, but it's when we're, when we're crushed that, <laughs> that myrrh has its best effects, right? Yeah. But second of all is that they, um, their experience is different than ours. They just take, for instance, their artwork, right? They draw a picture, whatever it happens to be. And, and it's, it's not stellar, but man, it sticks out to them and they love it. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of the things that we do to mark our days or to, to, look at the family liturgy. It doesn't have to be this perfect and and beautiful thing as we would see it. It has to be something that sticks out and stands out to them. And, and so using the darkness and the candles and because kids love fire, uh, yeah. using <laughs> audio books or whatever else, what other, other uh, demarcations you have to the day, that mm-hmm. is the thing that they gravitate toward. They, they go to it not because it's this wonderful, amazing thing, but because it's what we do. It's our family. Mm-hmm. It's our, it's our ordinary. And so rather than trying to shoot for the stars and elevate ourselves to this unreachable thing that will just leave us frustrated, mm-hmm. it's important for us to recognize that it's okay to go this little way, to go and, mm-hmm. and rather than jumping up to the, the extraordinary, to elevate the ordinary. I just had to yeah. work the name of the podcast in there to elevate <laughs> ordinary uh, yeah. for the sake of our kids. We're talking today with John Mark and Teresa Groni. They've got a great podcast, Elevate Ordinary. You can get to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I watch it on Facebook. You can find out more information by going to johnmarkgrodi.com. We'll put a link to that over in our social media. Speaking of social media, come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. 
On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And there's much more to this conversation just right after the break. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And today we're talking with John Mark and Teresa Grodi. They uh, they together are the hosts of the Elevate Ordinary podcast on the Awaken Catholic Podcast Network. I watch it through Facebook, and I'm sure there are other ways that you can get a hold of it. Uh, I watch it on Facebook because it's just beautiful video. And you might be able to listen to it on your podcast aggregator, but why would you? When you can watch, John, Mark, and Teresa, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, having, for having us. <laughs> so, first of all, I, I just love the interaction between the two of you. You 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 act like you enjoy being around one another. <laughs> actually, so our um, podcast is actually our date night for the week. <laughs> um, it was the only way we could work in babysitting time. Yeah. Um, so, because we, we we prioritize a date night once a week. Um, like I would rather eat less food um, than yeah. us not have a date night <laughs> for, for that week. Um, so we just decided that like our our goal for each one of our date nights is just to have a really great conversation with each other and connect again. And it just worked out really well that we get to sit in front of a camera and have a great conversation with each other yeah. and help our, you know, help awaken Catholic I think we're helping Awakening Catholic. I don't even know. Like At the same time, though, you're having to share your date night because you the episode that I watched most recently was Leah Darrow. So now you've got like a yeah. third a third wheel third, on your date. Yeah. Awkward. <laughs> Ed works out. You know, we, uh, when Nick Dilatore uh, first asked me about doing a program, like I, um, just my own my own temperament, I, I'm not good at like prepared speeches and things like that. I, I love conversation. Like that's when, you know, the best is brought out of me, I, I think. Uh, no, I agree. And so, you know, that was my first thought is that like, I, I, I want to do this with somebody. And so it just, it kind of worked out perfectly. Well, we, all the conversations we're having day to day in, in our home, in bits and pieces, you know, around dirty diapers and over the breakfast yeah. table and while the eggs are burning, you know, if we could have just, you know, a, a, a time every couple of weeks where we could take out a couple of our favorite topics, which always tend to be around this stuff. Again, this is, this is, this this theme of elevating the ordinary, you know, the the little way. Um, uh, again, I, I mentioned the virtues. We'll, we'll get into those uh, deeper some other time. But but virtue as a way of recognizing that our faith isn't limited to one small sphere in our life. You know, it permeates the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is connected to our faith. Everything we do is a practice of virtue. You know, the courage that I practice in getting up out of bed is the same courage that's involved in resisting some temptation. So there's no part of our life that's compartmentalized away from our faith. And so, again, these are the kinds of things that Teresa and I are just passionate about in, in our life just because, like, we're always trying to, to puzzle this out. We're always throwing stuff against the wall, you know, in terms of our parenting and our marriage and our own personal spiritual, you know, prayer life and virtue, trying to see what, what sticks and what fits and what needs to be uh, tweaked more. And so to bring some of those conversations and just to, uh, in the context of that show, was great. And again, as you said, um, Nick Delatori and Alina, they've put together such a wonderful setup. You know, we just sit down and have a great conversation and they make it look beautiful, sound beautiful. So, <laughs> do, they, do they bring you like, like drinks and dessert while you're doing this? 
just kind of behind <laughs> the scenes to loosen you up he, a little bit. One time somebody mentioned that if I just wave my hand outside of the, the TV screen, <laughs> like coffee will magically appear. I've never tried it yet, <laughs> but it's, it's in their home. Like mm-hmm. this is their living room. Yeah. Um, and so it's so beautiful because they have three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like kids going up and down, like you can see kids, you know, when you're, you're doing <laughs> your recording and stuff and like, or hear them upstairs and, you know, there's just life everywhere. You know, once after the men's show, like all the families got together and we had a barbecue yeah. out in the backyard when it was nice in summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of a, one of the, the men's show programs, uh, at the very end of the program, we were talking about, uh, dreams and passions and like discerning God's will. And as the minutes, as the show was coming to a close, all of our kids sort of tumbled into the room, you know, to end the episode. <laughs> and recently we did an episode on sleep on Elevate Ordinary. And one of their cats climbed up on Teresa's lap and was like, purring asleep. asleep. It was like <laughs> all these little interesting moments are occurring, you know. Yeah. You know, let's, let's take this tack for just a second because yeah. um, going back to the virtues and I'm going to bring them in. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we, the show is Elevate Ordinary. It's talking about the ordinary things in life. And we've talked in the last segment about not, not having to shoot for the extraordinary, but realizing that there is a little way. And at the same time, in the midst of this, in the, in the midst of taking the ordinary and, and seeing the sacred in it, as we discern the sacred, we're also going to begin to discern things that are part of our ordinary that are not sacred, things that mm-hmm. are part of our ordinary that that maybe we can push off to the side or, or, or get out of uh, the prioritization to realize that, hey, you know, my time spent on this hobby or this topic may not be evil, but it's really not helping me elevate ordinary to a place of sacredness. Yeah. Let's talk about what does it look like as you're beginning to to live a simple life and to recognize the sacredness of the simple life, to exercise the virtues in those places and to pass that on to, to the whole family and to make it part of the rule yeah. of the family life. Well, one the first thing I would say is, so I, I, we talked briefly in the break there that I've been getting really, really into Joseph Pieper and his writings, bringing kind of back the the, the great treasure of the church, particularly with St. Thomas Aquinas on the cardinal virtues. And one of the things that Pieper points out, uh, that, that Thomas pointed out, that's really been lost, I, I've never heard it elsewhere, is this re-emphasis that, that, that among the, the four cardinal virtues, we have to recognize that there is one that is even chief amongst them. In fact, Thomas Aquinas calls this virtue the mother of all virtue, the virtue bearer. And that is prudence. And sometimes like that strikes us as weird. Like they think of prudence as being such an important virtue. It seems like the boring virtue. It seems like the virtue that just means don't be stupid, stupid. Like, <laughs> no, but, but prudence is, as we love to talk about this. This is, this is our, one of our favorite things that permeates our, our, our different conversations that we have uh, on the show. That prudence, to put it in our, our common language, is, a, is the, the habit of soul of going through life awake and alert and intentional versus going through life asleep, going through life just reacting, just accepting what comes to us and bouncing around, being led around by our passions. No, prudence is to wake up and to begin to look around, to begin to make an examination of our life, to, to ask, to look at what happened and to look ahead and to, and to make a plan. And, and we, can, we can begin to see there that without this virtue, not just once, but practiced over time, yeah, you continue to just, your life is, is just a mishmash of whatever happens to, to happen to you. 
And so, you know, to begin to look at your life and make a plan, again, making a plan that may fail, that may fail miserably, but to make a plan, to run that program, and then to look back and say, okay, what stuck? What worked? What didn't work? And especially, again, when you're married, when you're working at a couple, it's even more it's even more important to be proactive about it. You have to make a plan and run it together and then look back together and say, what happened and what do we want to do differently? Yeah. Yeah. I think too, that um, married couples in particular are suited for and called to radical hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a tiny thing when you're already feeding seven people, you know, in your (laughs) case, 10 people. Um, but, you know, couples, when you get married, you become radically hospitable to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you get in each other's space. You get in each other's comfort level. You know, you have to sacrifice for the other person. And then, you know, the baby comes along and you begin sacrificing for, you know, that baby in a way that you've never sacrificed for. You know, and it's it never comes from a place of, it, not, it doesn't really in your heart come from a place of resentment. You know, you mm-hmm. married this person for a reason. You wanted to have children with them for a reason, even if life is hard, you know, or if you're struggling with something like postpartum depression or having difficulty in your marriage, you still are coming from a place of non-resentment, you know, or hoping to get back to the place of non-resentment. And then as more children come, I think it really puts you in a position as a family to accept more into your household, you know, with greater vulnerability. You know, it's nothing in our house is ever nice or pristine ever. We're not sitting in a position where you can see the big hole in the back of our wall. It's just, it's just over there. Um, but like nothing is ever nice. Uh, nothing is ever clean. Um, and the kids never act perfect. I mean, we had the Bishop over the other day and, you know, the number of poopy diapers and naked children that eventually ensued, you know, as it always does. Um, like it just, you get accustomed to dealing with that. And then when other people come into your life, you're just accustomed to taking them with their flaws and with the weird things that happen, you know, when they're too. And I think you provide a very safe place for other people just to exist, you know? Um, and I think that that's the easiest way to kind of like elevate your own ordinary. <laughs> let's, let's stay here for a second because I, this I think is a really important point and a good place to be. Um, you talk about the difficulties that, that people on the outside don't see the the really things that could be nerve wracking as as things aren't as perfect as we'd like and the same is true uh, with us I think it's true with all big families um, but before you can offer that hospitality to someone else you have to embrace the fact that where you are is okay and and to to say that all of these imperfections are in their own way moving us toward perfection. All of these mm-hmm. things that are that are stressful um, and and are you know the bishop over and he's seeing all the the naked kids running around and thinking, oh my gosh, if I had thought of this as a reality or a possibility when I was you know thinking of getting married, I would be mortified, right? To look at that and to say this is where life happens and and the ordinary is okay. The ordinary is is worth elevating. I think mm-hmm. in order to to get to a place where we can be open and radically hospitable and accepting people where they are and bringing them to a place where they experience the love of God in their brokenness, mm-hmm. we have to ourselves accept that in our brokenness is where we meet the love of God as well. Yeah. 
And I think it, I, in my experience, I've seen in my heart where this could be the case. And I, and I think I've seen it in some friends and contacts I've had over the years where you can, you can spend your life kind of fleeing from that, you know, always looking outside, you know, maybe managing your family, you know, putting up with your family, putting up with that vocation, managing it the best you can, but always kind of looking outside of it, you know, to a job or to an art, to a hobby or something else out there to keep, you know, to sort of balance the the pathos that you're experiencing (laughs) over here rather than turning and facing it and embracing, embracing, you know, it's messiness, embracing Mm -hmm. it in humility, the the, the messy hospitality that is family life. And there, again, if properly embraced, that's why I love that, the Chesterton quote, embraced rightly, it's an adventure. You know, all the inconveniences, it's an adventure. It's drama. It's romantic in the highest degree. That's what it re- romance means. It means something that's a little bit bewildering, but also at home, you know, and, and it has all the elements there, but you have to turn it and look at it. And so that that really is the this, this starting point. You, you know, I think one of, one of the most powerful moments that I kind of always stand in awe of is that every husband, you know, when his wife has a child, has to have this moment where he looks at her and is like, this woman is absolutely insane. This is not the woman I married. She is having a breakdown. She is not mentally, she's not the same. Like, she's just crazy. And in that moment, you can flee, like he's saying. You could you could flee, you know, and pretend like, oh, I'll just, I got to get out to my mm-hmm. you know, or job inward. or whatever. Or flee or inward. Flee inward. Yeah. Um, you know, or you could stand and be like, I got to be a man right now. This woman needs help and we need to figure out what kind of help to get her, you know? And I, I really think truly, like, I think that, that, that God takes women who are so good at being Jill of all trades, you know, we're so good at managing and micromanaging and worrying about everything. And he takes us and he, he pulls what we're so good at out of the equation and is like, you know what, this part of you is done right now and he needs to step up. And it, it's those times after we have, you know, particularly the the first few babies where your husband just really becomes the the head of the household, you know, and it's not necessarily because you're, you're, you know, the way that people always look at Christian women, like you're submitting to this man who's, you know, whatever, but it's just this, he does become this, this leader because you're crushed and you need a leader at that well, it's moment. Just, it's just the, you know, the, it's the theology of the body that in our very human nature, the way that our, we're made as men and women and the different processes that go, that we go through that, that life, if we allow it, life, God teaches us just through our, the very structures of what marriage is and what, and the biology of, of sex and the biology of pregnancy and all that kind of stuff. So much he impresses upon us just, just by the natural demands of those of those processes, and again, as we said earlier, you know, children, they 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 do crush you a little bit. You know, they they do bring you low and they they humble you. Well, yeah. and let's as as parents, let's not leave everybody on a, on a really dour note. That no. <laughs> this, I completely agree that there is this this crushing and there is this death, this death to ourselves and to our own preferences and our own desires. But I think that this is the same death that is required of us in discipleship, that we have to be people as followers of Christ who live our lives for others and not for ourselves, who prefer the good of others. And not, this is what love is, according to Thomas Aquinas, is to, love, to will the good of the other. And so I, I think that children are a, 
um, kind of a fast track, if we let it be, for ourselves yeah. to to pursue this line of holiness, to recognize that, hey, I'm pretty selfish. I got some things that I'd really like to see happen, and yet this isn't the humility that that God calls me to. And it's in humility, right? Those that humble themselves are the ones that God exalts. And so I can resist that. I can resist that humility and and find God's opposition. God resists the proud, but gives yeah. grace to the humble. And so it's in that crushing, which mm. which we talk about, it, it can be exhausting, it can be tiring, and yet it's in that place where if we'll let go of our own expectations of what our perfect life should be, that we find the grace and the empowerment and the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit through that place of humility. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, I don't think that there's any anything that has been has made me believe in the resurrection more because I experience it. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the crushing and that's real, but it has to come before the resurrection and that is equally as real. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe the woman that I've become, the man that he has become, the marriage that we have, we have, and the family that we have, the resurrection is so real and it's yeah. worth, you know, it's worth all of the, the scary things up into this point that, you know, we've been through um, because God exists and he's faithful. Mm-hmm. He exists, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to crush you to leave you crushed and sad the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. He has plenty of joy and resurrection for you. Uh, there's, there comes a point in every marriage where you pull out the the wedding album and you go, who who were those kids? What? Yeah. I, <laughs> so John Mark looks pretty different now. We we were both a little different when we got married, and John John Mark um, kind of looks like one of the Avengers now. So it's kind of it's kind of the opposite for us. I'm like, wow, John Mark. <laughs> We're talking with John Mark and Teresa Grodi. They are hosting Elevate Ordinary. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you're going to enjoy, you're going to love that podcast. Uh, It's part of the Awakened Catholic Podcast Network. I watch it on Facebook. You can probably listen to it somewhere else, but you should really watch it. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. If you missed any part of my conversation with John Mark and Teresa, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or even better, share it with your friends, Have no fear, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you enjoyed that conversation and you want more of it, well, I've got good news. I have more of it. Uh, We have extra segments available each and every week to our supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps ensure that we are able to stay on the air and bring you the show week after week. You can find out more information and get that extra content by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Follow the directions and find yourself uh, in in a sea of extra content as we have uh, several years now built up of extra segments with our guests. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. It's a sound that always fills me with great joy. You can experience that joy, too, by going to Verbum.com. Get your own Verbum Library. Try it free for 30 days. Let's look now at the book of Isaiah, chapter 30. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, O people of Zion who dwell in Jerusalem, no more will you weep. 
he will be gracious to you when you cry out. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord will give you the bread you need and the water for which you thirst. No longer will your teacher hide himself, but with your own eyes you shall see your teacher, while from behind a voice shall sound in your ears, This is the way, walk in it, when you would turn to the right or to the left. He will give rain for the seed that you sow in the ground, and the wheat that the soil produces will be rich and abundant. On that day your flock will be given pasture, and the lamb will graze in spacious meadows. The oxen and the asses that till the ground will eat silage tossed to them with shovel and pitchfork. Upon every high mountain and lofty hill there will be streams of running water. On the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, the light of the moon will be like that of the sun, and the light of the sun will be seven times greater like the light of seven days. On that day, the Lord binds up the wounds of his people. He will heal the bruises left by his blows. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And I want to point out, this is what we were talking about earlier. The people recognized that things were not right with the world. They saw and they named their discontent. They knew the things uh, where they saw injustice. And here, Through the prophet Isaiah, God is answering them. The Lord will give you the bread that you need, the water for which you thirst. Your teacher will not hide himself. You will be given direction. This is the way, walk in it. You'll have rain for your seed, right? All of these things that they feel the lack of, God is saying, yes, and I'm going to meet you right there in that lack, right there in that place that's broken, and I'm going to bring the, the fulfillment of it, the redemption of it, and the, the recreation of it. And this is what we uh, are, are invited into this Lenten season. And we see this a little bit more clearly in our reading from church history, which comes from the Proslogion by St. Anselm. And he grabs you right up front in this reading because he starts it off by, uh, with, with, with an address, addressing us by the name Insignificant Man. <laughs> And, and all at once we're offended, and yet we deeply resonate with that, right? How, how dare you call me what I think of myself? And yet there is something shaking to those words that, yes, we are insignificant, and yet God still chooses us. And so here, St. Anselm says this, Insignificant man, escape from your everyday business for a short while. Hide for a moment from your restless thoughts. Break off from your cares and troubles and be less concerned about your tasks and labors. Make a little time for God and rest a while in Him. Enter into your mind's inner chamber. Shut out everything but God and whatever helps you to seek Him. And when you have shut the door, look for Him. Speak now to God and say with your whole heart, I seek your face, your face, Lord, I desire. Lord, my God, teach my heart where and how to seek you, where and how to find you. Lord, if you are not here, where shall I look for you in your absence? Yet if you are everywhere, why do I not see you when you are present? But surely you dwell in light inaccessible. And where is light inaccessible? How shall I approach light inaccessible? Or who will lead me and bring me into it 
that I may see you there? And then, by what signs and under what forms shall I seek you? I have never seen you, Lord my God. I do not know your face. Lord Most High, what shall this exile do so far from you? What shall your servant do, tormented by love of you, and cast so far from your face? He yearns to see you, and your face is too far from him. He desires to approach you, and your dwelling is unapproachable. He longs to find you and does not know your dwelling place. He strives to look for you and does not know your face. Lord, you are my God, and you are my Lord, and I have never seen you. You have made me and remade me. You have given me all the good things that I possess, and still I do not know you. I was made in order to see you, and I have not yet done that for which I was made. Lord, how long will it be? How long, Lord, will you forget us? How long will you turn your face away from us? When will you look upon us and hear us? When will you enlighten our eyes and show us your face? When will you give yourself back to us? Look upon us, Lord, and hear us and enlighten us. Show us your very self. Restore yourself to us that it may go well with us, whose life is so evil without you. Take pity on our efforts and our striving toward you, for we have no strength apart from you. Teach me to seek you, and when I seek you, show yourself to me. For I cannot seek you unless you teach me, nor can I find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in desiring you and desire you in seeking you. Find you in loving you and love you in finding you. That reading comes from St. Anselm from the Proslogion. And if that doesn't perfectly sum up what we're entering into this Advent, I really don't know that we can find a better reading. Here we recognize, oh, the depths of our longing and our, the futility that we can sometimes feel as we try to make sense of our world where we see the absence of God's healing presence, where we see the injustice which is contrary to God's nature as being right and good and just and merciful. And so we cry out with these words of St. Anselm as a prayer, Oh, Lord God, help us to find you. Teach us how and where to seek you. And as he reveals himself to us over the course of this Advent season, let us offer to him our brokenness, the places where we have been crushed by others, by situations, to give them to him as an offering, to say, I don't have much, but this I have to give to you. Come and make all things right with the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let's have a conversation throughout the week. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and Carrie Carlson and all of those who are part of our Patreon community. Join them. Learn more about it at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page. 
Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing? God alone suffices. 